and welcome to Genderfuck, the sexual health and well-being podcast ran by trans people and for trans people. I'm your host, Dan Griffiths. My pronouns are he, him. And I'm Oliver Ellis, your other host, and my pronouns are he, him. So I don't think either of us have very many updates. Like I'm back in Germany um, with my partner, but then I also, like the day after I got here, we were going to go to like a kink, like a munch thing, like a non-sexual kink event. Um, And then we had to test before we could get let in and then on the metro there i tested positive so we have to go home so i've been stuck inside but i'm i tested again this morning like at a test center and it came back negative so i'm i'm allowed out again. that's good sounds like an uneventful week other than that just isolating yeah I've just been like sat playing um Spirit Farah on. Oh, I love Spirit I I actually it's I so completed good. it like last week like hundred percent. I think that's actually the first game I fully completed. I was like it was such a good feeling, but I miss it now. It's it's too good. I know. I literally just sat on the sofa for about four days straight, and after like three days or something, it was like you've played like twenty five hours. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, <laughs> what? It really gets you. Like it's it's. Yeah, oh, so good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, it's a good game. I would recommend it to like literally anyone. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, do you have any updates? Not really. Um, you know, I feel like my weeks are just work and then the weekends go quickly and then I work and then the weekends go quickly. So it's just kind of that over and over. <laughs> but um, me and my partner celebrated our four-year anniversary last week, which was very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, had a nice day off work and did some fun stuff, did some museums and some good food. So yeah, always nice to, to have a nice little day out like that. That's super cute. <laughs> Happy full month. No, full. Yeah, it's not month. <laughs> yeah, a bit more than four months at this point. <laughs> We've moved in together, so it's yeah. more than four months. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of getting into it, today's episode, we're going to be like talking about STIs, the kind of weird and wonderful world of sexually transmitted infections or diseases, I think. We usually just say infections now. Yeah, nowadays, it used to be we? STDs, but I think disease kind of sounds a bit stigma sometimes. So, I think infections is the most commonly used one now. Yeah. And last week was quite a bit of a me episode, and then this week it's going to be a bit more of an Oliver episode because I'm not that I'm not as well versed in the kind of like medical side of this. I'm more better at like um, kind of sexual behavior and like kink and things like that. So it's going to be I'm going to have my hands off the wheel a bit for once. Yeah, and I, I do want to say as well that like you know neither of us are medical experts in any way. Like we're mm-hmm. not doctors, we're not trained in in this kind of stuff. So all the information we give you is. Yeah, general information about STIs, about social stigmas, but like we can't, you know, diagnose you with anything that would need to be an actual like, you know, medical professional doing any of that stuff. So if you do have questions that are, you know, more personal or about your own experiences, probably good to direct those to a doctor rather than us. But if you have any questions about the social stigma, we are definitely more than happy to talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Like all the stuff that we've gotten information from, they are like reputable, like medical organizations. But as Oliver Mm -hmm. said, we can't diagnose you um because i also just we can't give you medication and you should probably talk to the people who can give you medication to sort stuff out so yes that too (laughs) yeah so sdr is like it's a pretty easy kind of definition i guess um but if we kind of just use like the world health organization um their definition says that sdis are spread predominantly through sexual contact including vaginal anal and oral sex some sdis can also be transmitted from parent to child during pregnancy uh childbirth and breastfeeding um and then also like people can 
have an STI and be like asymptomatic and not show any kind of symptoms of disease, which is kind of why it's so important to have regular testing, especially if you are having sex with multiple partners and stuff like that, because you might think you don't have anything, but you might do. So it's just good to go. I think the testing thing is like every three months. Is that right? Yeah, that's like the general kind of advice. I think if you're having new sexual partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like every three months or like if you're meeting with someone new maybe like have a quick test like they're very easy and like generally they should be free i don't know depending on countries and stuff if it costs but i know in the uk you can get them done for free yeah it's, it's a bit different in the us but i think depending on where you are and if there is kind of free clinics around um but yeah i know it can be harder in different areas yeah um and then also just kind of wanted to look at the statistics of them so more than 1 million stis are acquired every day um, and then in 2020, um, the World Health Organization estimated 374 million new infections of one of four STIs. So that's kind of chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, and how do you say that one? Um, I think it's like trichomoniasis. Yeah. I, I don't actually know. That's one of the ones I don't know too much about. So like those are like the most common ones, I think, but I don't know how to say that one. I honestly like I feel like I'm pretty well educated, but I'd never heard of that before we started doing these notes. So it's just... Yeah, I feel like it doesn't really get talked about a lot. Yeah, I have no idea. And then also more than 490 million people are estimated to be living with genital HSV, like herpes. Um, That was in 2016. So there's like a lot of people where... I think the statistic is like one in five people or something has undiagnosed herpes or something like that i can't remember what the statistic is exactly i remember i heard it on like dan savage a lot um yeah we'll go into herpes a bit more but it is definitely super common yeah yeah but like that's not to say that like you're gonna die or anything you know exactly whenever we talk about how common stuff is it's not to scare you or to be like oh you're gonna get it but it's more just to be like actually it is okay a lot of people have it Mm -hmm. and you know, go about their normal sort of daily lives. So yeah, well, again, we'll get more into that, but we're definitely not trying to enforce any stigma here. Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of like medical science is very good these days. Um, And there's a lot of very effective treatments for a lot of STIs. So even if you did um, test positive for something, likely is that you can get like treated in like a couple weeks or something. Like, especially if it's like chlamydia or like gonorrhea or something where it's just like, take some antibiotics and you'll be completely fine. So even if they're very common, doctors are good at what they do, basically. And then finally, there's like an estimated 300 million people with vulvas who who have a HPV uh, infection, which is kind of the primary cause of cervical cancer, which is why um, a lot of people get vaccines and stuff for HPV, but we'll talk more about that later as well. Yeah, so there's there's lots of different examples of STIs, which we'll go over. Um, One that we're not really going to mention at the moment is HIV, just because we've already done an episode on HIV. Um, And it's it's quite different than a lot of the other sort of sexually transmitted infections. Um, HIV is like a bloodborne virus, which again, we've gone over before, but we did want to mention that they do kind of interact. Um, So having an STI can increase the risk of contracting HIV um, if you have kind of small lesions and stuff that that are symptoms of some STIs. Um, And equally, uh, people with HIV have a higher probability of contracting STIs since um, their immune system has the potential to be suppressed. Um, These are kind of overall figures, but we did just want to mention it. Mm Um, just at the start, as since we're not going to be going too much into it today. Yeah. So I'm going to have a little start with chlamydia, which is, I think, 
one, if not the most common STI. Um, and it's basically transmitted person to person during all kinds of sex. So it can be oral, vaginal, and anal. Um, so this could be kind of genital to genital contact or giving oral sex to someone who is infected and it's um, infected through contact to genital fluids. And it's also quite important to say that like oral chlamydia is a thing. I didn't know that was a thing until I got it. So we'll be talking more about our own experiences <laughs> later. But I was like, damn, okay. Because the um, <laughs> STI clinic I used before never gave me like an oral swab. Um and then I did like a sexual health 24 ward and then they made me do that. And they were like, yeah, you've got oral chlamydia. And I was like, okay, so I think I've had that for about two or one year or something. Cause um, I know the kind of testing history of my current partner kind of a thing. And I was like, okay. Um, so that is quite an important thing to kind of bring up. Cause I don't think a lot of people know that you can get oral chlamydia through giving oral sex to someone mm. who is infected with it. Um, yeah. And then the kind of symptoms are kind of it's often asymptomatic so in both throat and genital types so a lot of people could have it without even knowing it um and then kind of symptoms that people might get if they aren't asymptomatic are kind of painful urination unusual genital discharge painful sexual intercourse for people with vulvas uh bleeding between periods or after sex in people with vulvas testicular pain um, and then in anal chlamydia, that could be rectal pain, discharge, bleeding. Um, but that's also anal chlamydia is also often asymptomatic. And then if you have symptoms for throat chlamydia, that can be a sore throat, pain in the mouth, redness in the mouth or throat, and mouth sores. Um, and then testing is very, very easy. So it's just kind of doing a urine test. I think that's usually for people with penises. Um, uh, and doing swabs that so could be an oral swab, an anal swab, or a vaginal swab, kind of depending on the sexual activities that you do. Like, obviously, if you don't really ever do anal, then you're not going to need to get an anal swab because it's unlikely to be there. And so treatment is also very easy. As I said earlier, like, you can either do some... I don't know how they determine this, which is just us not being medical doctors kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> but you can either get like a single dose that you just take, or you can be put on a kind of course of antibiotics either once or twice daily for between five and 10 days. And then if chlamydia is kind of left untreated for a long time, there can be some possible uh, complications, which is why it's so important to get tested regularly. Um, so that can be pelvic inflammatory disease, infection near the testicles, prostate gland infection, and infertility. Yeah, so we also wanted to talk a bit about gonorrhea, but um, we don't actually want to go into too much detail just because it's also a bacterial infection and a lot of the symptoms and stuff are quite similar to chlamydia. Um, I think gonorrhea is like the second most common bacterial SDI, uh, at least in the UK after chlamydia. Um, a lot of the similar symptoms of kind of discharge, pain, um, tenderness, it can be in, you know, the throat, um, in the mouth, or the sort of genital areas, the penis, the vagina, or the anus. But yeah, kind of similar stuff to chlamydia, tested by swabs or urine samples and treated by antibiotics. Um, again, if it is left untreated for a long time, it can have possible complications. But overall, um, really easy to get tested and treated. Um, just a quick course of antibiotics, mm -hmm. as Dan mentioned. So we're going to go over to a few different types of STIs. So herpes or HSV, which stands for herpes simplex virus. So there's two types of HSV. There's HSV1, which is usually oral, and HSV2, which is usually genital, um, but not always. Those two can switch around a little bit. Um, HSV is really, 
really common. So uh, that's it's an estimated 67% of the whole world's population under 50 actually have HSV-1. Um, it's lower for HSV-2, but it's still around like 11 to 13% from what I've seen. Um, it can be transmitted through any contact with these sores, even like indirectly, such as sharing a, a toothbrush or eating utensils with someone who has cold sores. Um, a lot of people have cold sores and don't really question them, which is absolutely fine because the whole thing is that they do just go away. Um, the, the main symptoms are having these outbreaks of blisters on the genitals or the mouth, which then turn into sores, and they kind of go through periods of being dormant, which can literally be years, um, and then you can have outbreaks. The outbreaks are usually most severe at the first outbreak, and then sometimes you get kind of smaller ones later on, uh, but then also some people actually never have outbreaks. So again, a lot of people don't even know they have it. Um, the outbreaks can be brought on by like stress, fatigue, illness, any kind of immunosuppression, um, trauma to the affected area, um, or menstruation as well. Um, they don't actually usually test for herpes. If you do have symptoms, you can go in and they can usually just tell by the look of it, um, but they also can swab and do blood tests. But it's not actually a part of general screenings. And I kind of looked into why this is, and it seems that it's not a part of general screenings just because most people actually have it, um, but most people mm -hmm. will also never have symptoms. So they don't really want to just test everyone because they don't actually have evidence that it will stop the virus from spreading. Um, from the CDC literally said, this is a quote, um, there is no evidence that diagnosing genital herpes with a blood test in someone without symptoms would change their sexual behavior and stop the virus from spreading. In addition, without knowing the benefits of testing, the risk of shaming and stigmatizing people outweighs the potential benefits. That's so interesting. Um, so... Yeah, I thought I find it really interesting. Um, you know, take that as you will. The treatments it, it can't actually be cured, but the symptoms generally clear up. So as I said, they may return, but you know, you can take antiviral medications. So acyclovir is the most common one, and those kind of clear up and prevent symptoms. Um, and there's creams as well for like any painful blisters or sores. You can take medications only when you have an outbreak, or if you have a kind of more severe case of it, you can take medication that um, like you can take it regularly that lowers the risk of transmitting mm -hmm. it onto others. I wanted to bring in a little bit of history as well. Um, so this is taken from a podcast called Sawbones, which is all about medical history. Um, and I love whenever they do sexual health episodes because I always find them super interesting. But basically, herpes used to be like not that big of a deal. Um, people had cold sores. They'd go away. You'd live with it. Um, but then in the 70s, the first kind of big drug that was targeted to herpes um, came out. It was pretty much a cyclovir um, or Zovirax, I think is the other name for it. And, you know, it's really good because... Although herpes usually is absolutely benign, like you can live with it, it's it's fine. Um, it can be serious in very specific situations. Um, if you're kind of immunocompromised or, you know, in very rare cases, it can kind of develop into something that could potentially be harmful. But that doesn't really make people money if you're only using the medications in really specific situations. So they launched like a disease awareness campaign focusing on genital herpes specifically, because obviously that's more kind of stigmatized than cold sores um, and actually brought on a lot of stigma. They used words like incurable, easily transmittable. Um, they started using like the term herpes sufferers mm. um, and they they called it like the new sexual leprosy and the new scarlet letter. And it was just kind of these scare tactics. Um, which people interpret as being the way of the, you know, the medication company to, you know, sell their medication, essentially. Um, obviously, like, I don't, you know, I haven't researched this in depth. I can't make that many judgments. But, you know, if you know, kind of, I'm assuming American, <laughs> you know, pharmaceutical companies, it doesn't really surprise yeah. me. Um, 
And it was kind of thought about as an example of the negatives from like the sexual revolution. It was very moralistic. Um, and because of this, nowadays, doctors will say that like the psychological effects are generally so much worse than the actual physical effects of herpes. Uh, and again, that's one of the reasons why people don't even test for it. Yeah, because I, like, I know I've seen in like, I don't know specific examples, but like in TV shows or movies or something, like people make like jabs at people for getting herpes or something like that, yeah. where it's like, it's not even that big a deal. But like, obviously, mm-hmm. if you're getting these messages, that's like, people with herpes are disgusting and dirty and like all of these things, like that's just gonna make you feel like shit. Like, especially because like, yeah, exactly. It's not like someone's fault um for getting an sti or something like Mm -hmm. it's not like it's something that's like a punishment for having sex it's just a natural part of having sex a lot of the time um yeah exactly normal and it's kind of something Mm -hmm. that you need to i don't know be educated about and like know how to get tested and get treated and whatever because it's just like just kind of comes with it especially if you I was going to say, especially if you have multiple partners, but even if you just have one partner, you can still get it. So, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing about these things being so prevalent is that mm-hmm. you could have sex with one person and get an STI. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not to scare someone. Like, you shouldn't let this stop you from having sex. But, you know, it, it does happen. It's a normal thing and it's nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, no, if you go into, like, a sexual health clinic and you tell them that, like, you've got an STI, like, then none of them are going to ever judge you for it. Like, it's their job to make sure you get better and stuff like that so like if you because of the social stigma and stuff like didn't feel comfortable telling anyone else like i think it's important to know that like you can tell these people in confidence and they're not gonna like spread any shit about you like it's like it's confidential um Mm -hmm. so it's just like trying to get past that stigma and like that's why online tests and stuff like that are so helpful because you don't have to go in a clinic or something if you're scared of people seeing you or whatever um yeah, it's just like how stigma i guess like kind of really fucks things up it just makes yeah. so many more barriers to like actually getting help for something that's very 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 normal yeah that's that's so true for mm. sure um yeah i guess the last thing i would say about herpes is just that the general recommendations um is to kind of continue living your life as normal um but if you have a big outbreak um you know if you're having sores maybe refrain from sex during that time but usually they'll clear up within you know a week or so so that's kind of the only way it it would really affect you um yeah you can pass it on if you don't have symptoms but it's it's less likely um especially if you're taking the medication i think it's just one of those things where it's um like when it you have like something that's like a, not that serious, but medical websites will be like, if you're really concerned about it, just go and speak to a medical professional mm-hmm. about it. And like, either they can prescribe you something if they think there's something wrong and you are like right to be kind of concerned. And like, if there's like some kind of complication, or they could literally just sit you down and be like, this is completely normal. It'll pass in like a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Here's some cream if you yeah, get itchy yeah. or whatever, you know? Um, so if, I don't know if you had like a really bad flare up and you were concerned about it, like talking to a medical professional is like usually like the best way to go because it can mm. only really go one of two ways. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would, that's something that we'd probably recommend for any of this stuff is if you're concerned, yeah, go see a medical professional just to kind of put your mm-hmm. mind at ease, just get checked out and, you know, go from there. Yeah, because I'm very medical anxiety-ish. Yeah. So when I got tested um, and I was with um, Sexual Health 24, you can text them and like, they'll oh, reply so nice. to you. Yeah, but like they'll reply to you in a couple of hours. Like I had to take antibiotics and like one of the mornings I forgot to eat before and it made me like vomit like an hour oh, after I yeah. took it. And I was like, oh no, my antibiotics are out of my body. What do I do? I'm going to die. <laughs> 
And then like, they'll just like text you back and be like, bestie is fine. Just don't <laughs> take the next dose. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Like when it's ready. Um, That's good. So just, I think for, especially for people like me, where like if there's something going on with your body and you don't know what's going on and you get very anxious about it, mm-hmm. having avenues like that, which make it really, really easy to talk to a professional without having to like book an appointment and go yeah. there and Especially when it's things. so hard to book an appointment sometimes just because so yeah. many sexual health clinics are just so busy. Yeah, or they're like criminally underfunded. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a very good resource. I'll talk more about Sexual Health 24 later because I'm a big advocate for them, I think, at this point. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, so I'll go on to the next one, um, which is HBV. So HBV stands for human papillomavirus, um, and it's also very, very common, but it's actually a group of viruses. There's like over 100 different strains, um, some of which can cause genital warts or cancer. Those are different ones. So the ones that cause genital warts will be different than the ones that cause cancer, which will also be different than the ones that just cause any other kind of warts on your body. It's it's super common. I think it's estimated that like over 80% of people will get it in their lifetime, some form of HBV. HPV. It can be transmitted through any skin to skin contact in the genital area, um, any kind of, you know, sex or sharing sex toys. Um, but not all HPV is sexually transmitted. So the ones that just cause warts, those, you know, aren't necessarily something that's going to be transmitted through sex. If you have a wart on like your hand and someone, mm-hmm. you know, touches that and gets it, it, it's it's pretty easily transmitted. But again, it's like pretty normal stuff. And a lot of the strains are, um, you know, not really dangerous at all. Um, the ones that are obviously are the ones that cause cancer. So HBV is the main cause of cervical cancer um, and is also um, a big cause of cancer in the anus. It can be in the mouth or throat as well as the vulva, vagina, penis. It, it causes lots of different sort of types, um, but cervical cancer is the one that kind of um, you hear about a bit more. So in terms of symptoms, um, this is some information I got from the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. Um, most individuals infected with HBV have no symptoms and will clear the virus within a few years. However, some will get visible genital warts that are usually soft, moist, pink, or fleshy colored swellings. These warts can be removed by medications or other treatments. They may also be resolved without treatment. In either case, disappearance of the warts does not mean the virus has left the body. Um, so again, it's not something that can be cured, but a lot of the times the symptoms clear on their own. In terms of testing, there's not really specific tests for it. Um, You, if you have symptoms, if you have genital warts, again, if you go into a clinic, they should be able to tell by the look of it. They can also do do swabs um, and some kind of abnormalities on pap smears can kind of indicate that there might that there might be HPV. Um, but again, there's not really any specific tests. Like you wouldn't go in and be like, oh, I want to get tested for HPV. And there's not really many tests for people with penises or people without a vulva. And there's, again, no cure, but the worst can be treated. But I think the big thing we need to talk about around HPV, since there's not really much testing or treatment, um, is the vaccine. So there is a vaccine for HPV. Um, it doesn't cover like all 100 strains, but it covers kind of the most potentially dangerous ones that cause cancer um it is really really important it's there, there's a really interesting history but it's a hugely important vaccine obviously we don't really have a lot of different vaccines that can prevent cancer that's that's quite a a, a new phenomenon and something that it is really useful. So if you can get your HPV vaccine, you should. It was originally only targeted at young people with cervixes. So, you know, if you were a person with a cervix aged, like, I think it started as being like under 25 or something, they started offering it. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned, it can cause cancer in, you know, something like in anus, which most people do have. So um, unfortunately, the the research at the start only really focused on cervical cancer. So, you know, they didn't really start giving it to, to other people until fairly recently, I think, maybe in the past 
I don't know, I want to say 20, 30 years, but I don't know the exact dates. Um, but I think nowadays it is kind of offered to anyone aged nine to sort of 45, I believe. Is that, I think that's kind of similar here. Yeah. I know um, when I was in high school, I think when I was 13 or 14, um, only people with uh, cervixes or valves whatever yeah. were offered it. So I don't know how recent it is that they offer it to everyone. Because mm-hmm. I just remember like a bunch of girls getting it and then like, I was going back to class and then like a bunch of boys like punching them in the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I I remember that as well. It must be even more recently than that they've started offering it to to people with penises. Um, But yeah. yeah, I know know that um, Dan Savage in recent years has started saying that like everyone should start getting it. Like even if you're like a 20 year old, like Mm -hmm. a person with a penis or whatever. Yeah. Obviously, you can still get HPV and it can still cause all these different types of cancer. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm pretty totally. sure most clinics and stuff should offer it for free. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially um, in the UK, yeah. they should for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it is a really good thing to get. I think originally, you know, the idea was to to give it to people before they were sexually active. That's why they started with, yeah. with young people. Um, because again, with it being so common, the chances that by the time you've, you know, had a few sexual partners, there's pretty high chances that you have been, you know, in contact with HPV. But again, still really useful because you don't know if you've come in contact with those strains that can be potentially dangerous. Um, so if you mm-hmm. yeah, if you haven't gotten it and you're eligible for it, um, yeah, really good to do. Um, there was a bit of controversy around the HPV vaccine um, when it came out. I don't really know about in the UK, but definitely in the US, um, there's kind of weird thoughts about vaccines anyway, which obviously with COVID yeah. and stuff, people will be used to hearing. But I think a big part of it as well was that, um, you know, stigma around sex and that HPV is something that potentially is sexually transmitted. Um, so I think a lot of parents didn't even want to think about their kids potentially having sex at any point in the future. So that was a bit of a barrier. But, you know, the whole reason why you would give it to someone who's, you know, nine or 10 or 11 who hasn't really started having sex yet is because then they're protected and then you don't have to worry about it once they do start you know, being sexually active. Yeah. Um, but no one, no parents really want to have that conversation with kids, I think. So I think I definitely remember there was like some talk about that kind of a thing when I was getting it. I can't remember. It was like I had friends who specifically said that like they weren't allowed to get it because their parents didn't want them to. Wow. Or if it was like we were talking about it in a class, I can't remember. It was just one of those things where, again, they were saying about how like parents kind of want to protect like the innocence of their child or something like that, even if. I, I'm not gonna lie, I think it's a bit stupid because, like, if you hear the shit that, like, 13 and 14 year old, like, kids are talking yeah. about at school, like, in their friendship groups, like, they know all of this shit. Like, you're not protecting their innocence. Yeah. In my opinion, like, they know this. Yeah. And um, just, like, with any other kind of preventative thing, like, if it's not gonna, like, kids aren't thinking, like, oh, I have the HBV vaccine, now I can have sex. Like, it's not <laughs> like that. It's just, yeah. like, you know, giving someone condoms isn't gonna make them go out and have sex. Like, it doesn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think it's just like, I guess like very fear-mongery kind of thinking where it's kind of like how people think that like sex education is like in some way like grooming children or Mm -hmm. whatever when it's like, no, they're just getting like their education. So like when they do do things, they're less likely to kind of fuck up in some way. Yeah, exactly. They know what to do if something bad happens to them or if they get like a virus like they get like an STI then they know how to get tested instead Mm. of kind of being like 
oh no, like it hurts when I pee, I'm dying, instead of just kind of being like, I can just go to an STI clinic or something. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, making sure they know how to take control of their own health, which is a really yeah. important skill. Exactly. But it's like, if you're going to have this narrative that like a 13 year old or something doesn't know any of this, I just sorry to break it to you but they absolutely do fucking know <laughs> what most of these things are mm-hmm. you're just i don't know it just it's it's weird because like obviously i do understand why parents like don't want to think about their kids like, yeah. doing that kind of a thing but it's like preventing them mm-hmm. isn't gonna stop anything yeah totally especially when it's something to do with their health like again the only yeah. thing that the hpv vaccine is going to make happen is it's going to make them less likely to get hpv you know like that's it's the only outcome and it's a big benefit you know it potentially has you know life-saving effects um but yeah if if the options are you can either like not give this kid a vaccine or your kid gets cervical cancer like which one would you choose yeah exactly you know (laughs) and there's there's so much misinformation about vaccines in general but um you know the added stigma of it being potentially sexually transmitted i think is yeah definitely a factor yeah that's how it is with any of this stuff. As soon as sex is involved, it's just absolute dumpster fire of like weird <laughs> misinformation. Yes. And that's like moralistic true. arguments and stuff like that. It's atrocious. Yeah. Even absolutely. It's like a very simple issue. People manage to make them incredibly difficult by just adding morals into it. Yeah. So, so the next one that we want to talk about um, is syphilis. So I think a lot of people think syphilis is like kind of an old fashioned SGI. Like you hear it more historically a lot um but it is actually still around today um but now we can actually treat it effectively whereas in the past they used to treat it with like things like mercury which obviously is very <laughs> dangerous and had like horrible horrible side effects but basically syphilis is spread through contact with an infected sore which can be um, usually around the genitals but you can get them on your kind of lips and mouth as well um, or i think fingers too but again that's that's definitely less common the sores are the main symptoms but you might also have kind of swollen glands syphilis is something that if it's left untreated for a long period of time the symptoms can get worse um, you can have kind of rashes fever hair loss and it's specifically dangerous for people who are pregnant um, it can even become life-threatening, again, if it's left too long. Um, it can cause things like meningitis, strokes, um, dementia symptoms, um, numbness, blindness, heart problems, a-, a lot of things. But again, this is something that only happens if you have it for a while. And it's actually really easily treated nowadays. Um, it's just a short course of antibiotics, either injections or tablets. And it's much easier to treat if it's a newer infection. So again, this is why we would say you know, getting tested regularly is quite a good thing. It's mm-hmm. just a blood test. You can test for antibody to antibodies or antigens, or you could even take a swab from a sore if you do have any active sores. This is one of the things that like I test for when I do, we do rapid HIV and syphilis testing at my work. Um, you can get really quick rapid tests that get the results in like 60 seconds. So uh, it's pretty easy thing Damn. to test for. That's so cool though, that you can get like a result that fast. Yeah, totally. So the the one that we use, like, it's about a three month window period. So that's obviously quite a long time. But, you know, if you've had a risk that's been, you know, longer than three months away, or if you just kind of get tested regularly every three months, it's yeah, quite an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that one tests for both HIV and syphilis at once. It's just like one of the quick finger prick tests. Um so yeah, it's really good. That's so cool. Love yeah. medical technology. I know, me too. I, I didn't realize <laughs> until starting this job that you could test and literally get the results that quickly. Um, it's very yeah. cool. Even with like the whole like lateral flows and all the COVID tests and stuff, it feels like, like feels like we're doing little science kits all the time. It's very, <laughs> I find it quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
I do, I do quite enjoy that, even if I feel like I'm doing it wrong every single time somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't done, like, except for lateral flows, like, I haven't had to do anything like that since my A-level in biology, which was, like, what, like, four or five years ago? <laughs> like, I haven't had to do, like, tests in a lab and, like, do all these fun things. I kind of miss it, but... Yeah, I feel like a scientist. It's not really something you get to do in, like, psychology. No, not psychology really. Psychology is just, like, here's a survey. Yeah. Fill it out. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's not as fun no not really um but yeah i mean that's that's mostly what i had to say about syphilis just to let people know that it is still out there but it is pretty easily treatable um so again why not go get tested yeah and i guess like speaking of testing um we also we didn't like talk about every single sti because i don't think we have the time yeah or kind of energy for that that would take so long yeah totally if people are interested we could we could potentially do another episode about stis but again yeah. like we don't need to list out symptoms for you for an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah so testing windows are also quite like an important thing with testing which is kind of why there's that kind of recommendation of like approximately three months because it kind of it varies from uh, STI to STI. So, like for example, like chlamydia, like you generally should get tested after like ten days after exposure or something like that. But then HPV, that can be after four months of exposure, they will come up on a test. So it's kind of like the average of everything. Like every single different thing has a different um, testing window. So instead of kind of going over all of it, because we think it would be a bit dry. <laughs> Um, we're gonna link uh, a resource from Oliver's work that has everything on it so it's like if you think you've come into contact with something then you can kind of check when but also if you think you've come into contact with anything like even if you don't have symptoms it's still a really good idea to just go to an SDI clinic anyway and get tested because like it still might come up on those tests Um, it might not be as likely I think but it still could come up and then you can still get treated um but as with everything just kind of like check with your service provider like ask if what they think and then kind of make the decision based off what they suggest yeah absolutely and then the next thing we really wanted to talk about is the kind of like stigma and shame around like stis Mm -hmm. so one of like the really big things about it that really like annoys me so much is the kind of like wording around stis where you know like if someone will get a test and like they come back negative for everything, they're like, I'm clean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it like that obviously like that implies in some way that someone who has gotten an STI or has, has, has had STIs in the past are like in some way dirty. And then also like STIs are used as like a punchline and like the end of a joke a lot of the time. So it's like the worst thing that can happen to you where it's like, I see it a lot in like those TV shows or something where it's like someone's having sex with like a sex worker or something. They're like, haha, you're going to get chlamydia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, like, horrible. Like, okay. Yeah. Like I remember I was watching um, Wolf of Wall Street the other day and then they were talking about how they just got like penicillin shots like all the time because of like all of the sex workers they were having sex with and stuff like that. Wow. Um, but like it was just kind of like made to be like a weird joke it was very strange yeah never really i I don't usually see sdis like handled in a very good way in in media no and then there's obviously that that kind of thing where it's like if you get an sdi then you kind of like quote unquote deserve it or you're a slut Mm. that's why you've gotten it um even though as we said earlier like even if you only have sex with one person you could still get an sdi yeah totally um and it's not like an inherent kind of like 
like moral failure on your part and you're being like punished by being given an sti or something like that like in the end of the day it's just a virus or a bacteria yeah and sometimes they can spread like even if you are wearing a condom or something like that like sometimes that skin to skin contact can still spread some stis yeah exactly it's not like um it's not any like moral failure on anyone and there's also nothing wrong with being a quote-unquote slut anyway (laughs) a lot of us i like that term it's a good fucking term (laughs) if you're reclaiming it and you're not using it to like belittle people and like obviously like all of this kind of shame and stigma around like stis especially kind of that idea that someone is dirty or like they've done something wrong makes people a lot less likely to like feel comfortable like going to an in-person like testing clinic especially if like they get worried that i guess like if you're at school or something and you're very like preoccupied by kind of how your peers like see you and stuff like that like if people from school saw you go into a testing clinic a lot of people can feel very anxious about that because like rumors could spread around it like i don't think if you're an adult that people would give a much of a shit i'm not gonna lie if i saw someone walking into an sti clinic i'd be like okay cool because that's also like in a sexual health clinic you could be going for like a million different reasons it's not like inherently um sti related anyway yeah that's true but i think i think it's like an especially like prominent thing with like school-age children where it's like they're terrified of like rumors coming around because you know how brutal teenagers yeah. are they're like they'll find out like someone's having sex and they're like <gasps> she's a slut kind of a yeah, thing totally. like it doesn't doesn't it doesn't impact you no absolutely like, not <laughs> but like you know so obviously that's that can be like a really big barrier for people being able to get um tested and get treatment for things that are treatable which can obviously like lead into more spread of stis and stuff like that and if there's this kind of like cycle of stigma and shame around it then less people are going to be like likely to get tested so it just kind of like spreads around yeah totally real rampant like yeah and because that's kind of yeah, yeah. And i think it does like it affect adult it affects adults as well kind of depending on the community you're in as well like i think something mm-hmm. i've talked to people about is like you know if you're in a city you know chances are no one's even going to see you at this clinic but if you live in like a yeah. really remote town or like a, a tiny little village or somewhere you know where everyone knows everyone like rumors travel very quickly and so it's like oh i saw so and so at the you know at the sexual health clinic like i bet this means they were doing this you know it's like stuff like that can spread so easily and it's like the rumors are just so harmful and it's like why can't we just let people go to the doctor and like not question it (laughs) literally it's like this literally has nothing to do with you and like as i said earlier like people could be going to a sexual health clinic for like so many different reasons yeah totally and it's not inherently that they're pregnant or getting an abortion or like an STI or like whatever the weird rumor mm-hmm. is. Um, like they could just be going to get like contraception, you yeah. know, which is a safe fucking thing to be doing. Totally. And like something people should be going and like talking to sexual health professionals about. Um, so obviously that stigma is real dumb. So I guess like if you see someone ever doing that, you could kind of call them out on it yeah totally (laughs) calling out the stigma is a good thing to do for sure yeah because i know there's like a lot of times where like i i don't know if my mom specifically has done it but like if someone in your family is like ever made like a bit of a snide remark about it Mm -hmm. then you can just be like okay but what's so wrong with like 
getting chlamydia. Yeah. And like getting tested. Like, what is the actual problem? Yeah, here? exactly. Please explain it to me. Because I feel like in those things where like if someone says something harmful and you're just like, why? <laughs> they, they crumble. Yeah. Well, that's but, the thing. Um, there's not really much like other than the stigma, there's no reason why any of this stuff would be such a bad thing. Like it all, it seems mm-hmm. to me, it all comes down to stigma around sex because if people were truly fine with everyone having you know say you know consensual sex or any kind of consensual sex like there's not really any issues that could possibly be brought up with sdis because it is just something that happens sometimes when you have sex so it's like you're just outing yourself as someone who stigmatizes sex i guess yeah because it's also like if you think about it like no one spreads rumors about someone getting an ear infection yeah exactly or like something like anything like very innocuous that has like nothing to do with sex like yeah. i don't know they get i don't know i, I can't think well, of any I other kinds like of infections when i was a kid head. like everyone like, used to get the flu like every year and it's like well obviously we, yeah. we had the flu and we're going to school and so we all got the flu like it's just it's just something that happens like it's just a virus it's just like another type of illness but because of that stigma around sex people are like <gasps> exactly and it's like most infections like if i got an ear infection because like i don't know my earphones were dirty or some shit like that i would just go to the yeah. doctor and get a course of antibiotics so, like why is getting chlamydia so much different no, exactly it's very dumb yeah. <laughs> Um, so we were thinking we could talk about like our kind of own experiences and stuff as well around SDIs. Um, but before we get into that, um, Dan, you mentioned that you've done the kind of mail away kits mm-hmm. for for SDI testing. I was wondering if you could like talk us through that because I've only ever gone like to a clinic to get tested. Yeah, so I don't think I've ever gone to a clinic. Like mostly out of like laziness, so we're kind of like <laughs> the opposites. Yeah, we um, can share both of our experiences and capture yeah. the full picture. So I. When I was at university in Southampton, I used to use, like, I can't remember what it was called, but, like, they had, like, a free, like, NHS-funded, like, um, male kind of SDI kit thing, mm. but um, it was before my dissertation supervisor, like, worked with them to, like, make it better, but, like, they basically, like, the wording on the website, because you have to, like, fill out a form with, like, your gender, your sexual orientation, kind of, like, who you tend to have sex with, so they can kind of, like, I don't know, like understand your risks and like suggest like um the most appropriate um mm. test kits because obviously like if i've got a vulva i don't really need to be doing a urine test if i could just yeah. do a swap you know mm. um but the website basically forces you to call yourself a woman if you have a vulva oh, um, in order to get the correct tests which was really uncomfortable and then it also made it really difficult because i was like my partner is also trans but then i was like Shh, am I supposed to be calling him a man or a woman in this, in terms of this website? Yeah. Like having to misgender both of you to yeah. actually get the right stuff. It's horrible. So I was like, I don't understand it. And then like, I told one of like the senior, like sexual health researchers, that's when I was having a chat with her and she was like mortified. She was like, how could they? And then she told me that my disc supervisor, like before I'd even met her, um, was working with the team to like make it better. Cause she's like an LGBT sexual health researcher. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I love like seeing people actually make changes. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> I know. It's so nice. And like, um, that test kit didn't give me everything so like i did it a couple times when i was at university um and i never got given like an oral swab or anything like that um and then sometime i think like last december i can't remember if it was like december or like this january i just like was bored and i was like i'm just gonna do a 
fucking sexual health 24 like that it's like a specific service that you can get free testing and like um medication and stuff from in the uk um i was like i'm gonna do a test because like yolo i haven't done one for a while even if i've i know i haven't had sex with like any other people but my partner um and then in that kit i had to do uh an oral swab and they were like oh you've got oral chlamydia and i was like huh I was like, I didn't know I had that because the other testing kit never tested for it. And like, I know from my partner's like testing history that he didn't have chlamydia. So I think I got it from a hookup that I had like in October of 2020 or something like that. Yeah. Wow. So it was like, like when I got told, I was like, that makes sense. Cause I did have a lot of random sore throats, Mm. but because I didn't know oral chlamydia was a thing, I just kind of like assumed I had just like, I don't know drank too much the night before or like yeah, I had like there's, a sore yeah. dehydrated throat or something like that there's such a or lack of information around these things yeah exactly so it's like I didn't know um but then they just kind of they just mail you a course of antibiotics in the mail and then as I said earlier like with sexual health 24 that was really really helpful for me um was they they text you because you give them your phone number to like tell you if you're positive or anything or if you're negative whatever um, but you can also reply to that number instead. Cause I know like a lot of things like that. It's like, do not reply to this number. Um, <laughs> but with them, it was like, if you reply within a couple hours, a clinician will reply back to you or the next working day, if it was like the evening or something. Um, and that was really good for me because I'm a very anxious person. And like, that was like a lot of things where I was like, I, as I said, I like I threw up after one of them and I was like, I don't know what to do and then I was also like supposed to be getting two tattoos like the day after I finished the course of biotics and like I was doing a bunch of googling like everything's like so different where it's like you cannot get it until like a week after you've stopped your bio- like, antibiotics and I was like oh no I was like I can't reschedule these because I have to like I can't just go back down to Southampton and London like randomly I can't afford that um but then I just like messaged them and I was like, can I get a tattoo? And they were like, that's literally completely fine. Like nothing's going to happen and nothing did happen. (laughs) So being able to get like quite quick, like reassurance about things like that is like very, very, very good for like someone like me. Cause yeah, that's great. I get very anxious about like medical things. Like I bother my, like my piercing studio so often. If there's like any (laughs) change in my piercings, I'm like, am I dying? And they're like, it's fine. Like, nipple piercings just crust sometimes i'm like okay (laughs) but like yeah so i'm a big advocate for mail order ones because i am lazy and also like my house um back home with my parents it's kind of it's in a bit of a rural area and like it's just really annoying to get the bus into town because i have to walk 20 minutes to the next town over and then get a bus and it takes like an hour to get anywhere so being able to just like get something in the mail and walk like five minutes to the closest mailbox is a lot more convenient for me and i don't have to talk to anyone in person so yeah that sounds really useful i feel like those mail away kits are definitely really good for people who don't have access to clinics in a sort of easy Mm -hmm. comfortable way um in scotland so i don't think sh24 like delivers in scotland at the moment um i I think think some sexual health clinics do kind of mail away kits but um i've only ever been to the clinic in person and i think my experience is 
it, a lot of it just depends on what doctors and nurse you get, which sometimes is quite unfortunate if they're not super clued up on trans stuff. Um, but other times I've had mm-hmm. really nice experiences. So um, yeah, unfortunately, it kind of just depend. But I think things are getting better in terms of, you know, intake forms being uh, a bit more trans friendly, um, people actually knowing what questions to ask. Um, but you know, it is a bit of a slow process. But I've, I've gotten STIs a few times. Um, the first time it was like, I just felt so unlucky and I felt a lot of shame. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of fairly new to being sexually active. I'd like only slept with a few people and I wasn't really thinking about STIs very much because um, I was yeah. like always using condoms. It wasn't really, you know, the more like oral side wasn't really something I had been thinking about. Um, like I knew it existed, but, you know, just wasn't super on my radar. Um and I think I was just so excited to like be gay and be out and be having sex that like I wasn't really super concerned about that stuff, which I think is a common experience for people when they, you know, kind of start being sexually active. Um, and, you know, although yeah. they were great experiences for me, like, you know, I had some symptoms that were kind of dysphoria inducing, you know, not always a great time. But, um, you know, I, I don't really know if I would necessarily have gotten involved in so much sexual health stuff if I hadn't had those experiences like if i hadn't felt that stigma i don't know if i would have started you know getting involved in you know organizations like sex expression that try to reduce the stigma so you know i am kind mm-hmm. of you know looking back thankful for you know that putting me on this path that i'm on in life i guess um you know trying to think about it in a positive light but in terms of my experiences at the clinics as i said it's kind of there's good and bad stuff but it is essentially the same kind of things that you would be doing um if you get a testing kit um they'll ask you questions about you know any risk factors you've had um and then they'll give you the the relevant swabs or urine samples um and then yeah it's usually like a week or two to get your results back it it is it is pretty simple i think it can be something that's definitely nerve-wracking especially if you don't if you don't really know the people at your local clinic or you don't really know if they'll be chill with queer or trans stuff, but I would say it's definitely something that's worth it. You know, it's, it's whether you have symptoms or not getting tested is, is a really important thing to be doing if you're sexually active. Um, and yeah, so I would recommend it despite, you know, any kind of negative experiences I've had. Yeah. Cause I feel like, um, if so I'm like, I don't know if I'm overgeneralizing, like overgeneralizing, um, but I feel like most people, if you're working in like the kind of sexual health or like sex field, they're probably going to be a lot more accepting and understanding of kind of queer sex and kind of, I don't know, quote unquote, non-normative sex. Um, so obviously there are a couple of like real bad apples who can be just awful to people, which is really unfortunate, mm-hmm. but usually it's like a better thing. Like it, you should tell people um at the clinic like specific things like if you do i don't know like non-monogamy or something you have multiple partners like that can be a very important thing to tell um the clinic yeah. uh, the clinic because also um, i know sexual health 24 do this and i think a lot of other clinics do as well but if you have come into contact or like if you've tested positive with uh chlamydia say um they'll offer like if you just like give them like the phone number and like I don't know, name of someone that you've come into contact with, they'll text them for you. So you don't have to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, so being able to like tell them and feel comfortable enough to tell them like all the different people that you've been having sex with and stuff like that. Like if it's multiple people, or just like one person, it's really good to be able to like talk about that with them. Yeah. And it's hard because like, again, since so much of this stuff is stigmatized, 
you know, I know a lot of people who are queer, who are non-monogamous or, you know, or even just people who are having lots of sex, um, have a hard time kind of being honest to clinicians just because, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they've had bad experiences in the past, or if you just don't know how people will react. Um, and you know, that is a very real fear, but I think with anything medical, you have to kind of remember that you deserve the, the right care. And so I think that is going to, that's going to mean telling them kind of everything that's been going on just so that you do actually have the ability to to get treated for the stuff you need treated for, get tested for the stuff you need tested for, um, and actually be able to kind of do what's best for your own health, um, even though it's it can be quite nerve-wracking sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think like one thing also when you were talking that I really like resonated with was that kind of thing where you like feel a lot of shame and you feel very unlucky because like the chlamydia thing was to my knowledge, the only time that I've ever gotten an STI, like obviously I could have like HPV or whatever because they're asymptomatic and quite common. Um, But even though I would consider myself someone who has quite a lot of like sexual health knowledge and like I know how to talk myself down, but that kind of stigma around it is so like innocuous, I think is the word that I want, where it's like, even if I know logically, like I haven't done anything wrong, there's nothing like inherently wrong with me because I've gotten chlamydia. As soon as I got that text, I said I like had tested positive. I was like, oh man. I was like, yeah, really? Um, even though like I had to just kind of sit there with myself and be like, okay, but like, why are you so upset? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you could just get some antibiotics and like really unpack that kind of thing with myself because I know how to do that. But I know that can be like a really difficult thing for a lot of people um, to do. So I think it's really important to kind of remind yourself those things of like, there's nothing morally wrong with you for getting an STI or whatever. And like a lot of them are very easily treated and stuff like that. So you don't need to like beat yourself up about it. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's like exactly what I went through of like sitting there being like, I know I haven't done anything wrong, but, but it, it feels, feels like, like I have, have. it. It, it yeah. sucks. Like, it, you know, you feel so negative about yourself, you know, even like, I don't know. Like, I feel like as long as you're having the, you know, the safest sex that is realistic for you at that time, you know, that's all Mm -hmm. we would recommend. Like sometimes SGIs still happen. Sometimes like, I don't know, I would say sometimes you make mistakes, but other times it's not even a mistake. Like maybe you have sex with a condom, but you know, if the condom breaks or there's skin to skin contact, like there's so many different ways that can happen. And so there's just no, there's no way that like beating yourself up about it is going to make any any positive difference. It's just going to make you feel bad. So as people who have yeah. gone through that, we would definitely say that like there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. And then I guess should we finish off with our little top tips for yeah. kind of STIs and stuff? So obviously, like as we said, like you can get STIs without symptoms. And like that's one of the big reasons to get tested either before every new partner or every three months. Um or like whatever your clinician kind of recommends those kind of the general guidelines um and then also like finding out where your nearest sexual health clinic is or if there's any kind of like local services sometimes gps also offer um sdi and like sexual health testing and stuff like that yeah um and then also obviously being aware of um online services like sexual health 24 or um i'm pretty sure most areas in the uk should have um like a online service for their city so like Southampton had their own one I know there's one in Worcester as well so like there should be one for like most major areas um but uh, I don't know where in the United Kingdom sexual health 
uh, 24 doesn't um, mail to. Like, I don't know if they do Wales and, like, Northern Ireland, and I don't think they do Scotland. Yeah, but... they don't do Scotland, but I'm not sure about the other ones. Yeah, so obviously, like, doing a little bit of Googling and finding what is the best option for you is, like, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then obviously, as we said earlier, like, there's nothing to be ashamed of in terms of, like, STIs. They happen, they're just kind of... They just happen. This part of life is like any other infection. Like you haven't done anything like inherently wrong. Um, and then barrier methods like external and internal condoms or dental dams are great ways to reduce your risk. Um, and they're the only kind of form of contraception that prevents both pregnancy and STIs. Because obviously, if you're just taking like the mini pill or you've got like the implant or something that can't protect you from STIs because it doesn't, there's no physical barrier to kind of prevent um kind of genital to genital like genital fluids touching um and spreading things that way and then obviously kind of other ways to reduce the risk that aren't like like quite medical i guess but like getting tested regularly being able to talk to your partners about their kind of testing history and then helping question the stigma so that's kind of that thing i was talking about earlier where it's like whenever someone says something like very bigoted just being like but why do you think that and then like or like why is that funny and then watching them crumble because people aren't <laughs> laughing at their like silly little joke yeah it feels like you know marks. whenever you like actually question that stigma it makes people feel a little bit more comfortable to actually be able to talk about the stuff which you know i think in the long run is what is gonna really help actually reduce you know the the numbers of sdis is if people actually like feel equipped to deal with them and to get tested yeah. and to you know prevent other people from getting them and i think it makes people who are like saying stupid shit more uncomfortable to be able to like spread mm -hmm. like misinformation and yeah, like totally. and stuff like that so being able to like question people if they're saying something that you know is inherently wrong like i don't know like saying that someone deserves to get like a certain sti because they're a quote-unquote slut or something like that being like I don't know, just like questioning them on that, they yeah. might be less likely to say that kind of thing in the future. Um, totally. yeah. And one other thing that we haven't mentioned yet um, is that PrEP is a medication that prevents against getting HIV, but it does not protect against any other STIs. So if you're on PrEP, um, you know, using mm -hmm. condoms is, is still the best way to prevent against STIs. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then another thing is kind of washing sex toys uh, between partners or uses. So you shouldn't really, unless you know that everyone is uh, tested negative and stuff, um, it's your safest best. Your safest bet is to wash sex toys or you could put a condom over like a dildo or something yeah. um, and use a different dildo for, not dildo, use a different condom for each different person um, that is going to get put inside of. Um, that can help reduce the spread because as we said in the... Uh, sex toy episode some materials can be more likely to uh hold like bacteria and viruses like if they're a bit porous um but it can also just be like on the surface of like a glass or a silicone dildo if you don't clean it um but obviously cleaning it is more likely to reduce your risk because you're just like washing away that bacteria rather mm -hmm. than if you're using like a porous material that like it's really hard to sterilize because you can't really get the soap into those pores as yeah. well um and then obviously we just wanted to end off by just saying again that like shame doesn't help anyone the best thing you can really do is to stay informed about the risks and have the safest sex that's realistic for you yeah just get yourself tested
understand what's going on with your body, being able to advocate for your body when you need to, all good things. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned some stuff about STIs and maybe feel less ashamed if you have gotten one or if you do ever get one. Uh, as always, we are Gender FCK Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We welcome your messages, your comments, any type of feedback there, uh, as well as through reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really appreciate hearing what you have to say. So have a great day, everyone, and we'll be back in a couple weeks.